Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. Today, we are going to begin a new series called Things to Know Before You Go. And you may be thinking, go where? Well, we're talking about the big go. We're talking about the final go. We're talking about the ultimate go. I heard about a man who wanted to have this epitaph put on his tombstone. Remember, friend, as you pass by, as you now are, so once was I, as I am now, so you shall be. Prepare for death and follow me. And some astute passerby scribbled these words beneath those words. My friend, I've read what you did right, but Phil, I need a little light to follow you. I'll not consent until I know which way you went. <laughs> I've come to the conclusion that many people do not understand or practice a consistent gospel-centered theology when it comes to how they look at aging, death, and dying or the life to come. And this matters a great deal when you're facing something that is inevitable and inescapable. I agree with the scholar Tom Wright when he said the classic Christian answer to the questions of death and beyond these days is not so much disbelieved as simply as not known. In other words, people don't know what the doctrine is about these things. I think that's where Paul found himself when he wrote to some of the earliest followers of Jesus in the many churches he helped plant, like the church at Thessalonica. And Paul said, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Accurate information about something that's going to happen is not just comforting, it's compelling. It's not optional, it's essential, it's not periphery, it's priority. And that's what sound theology provides for us. One of my favorite Peanuts cartoon strips is Linus and Lucy. And, 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 and Lucy says, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? And Linus says, it will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. And Lucy says, I think sarcastically, you've taken a great load off my mind. But Linus says, sound theology has a way of doing that. <laughs> and my goal is to provide us with some sound theology about aging, death, and eternity over the coming weeks. I want us to start today with the subject of aging. Billy Graham once said, all my life, I've been taught how to die, but no one ever taught me how to grow old. Do the scriptures have something to say, not just about death, dying, and eternity, but about aging? What does growing old in the Lord look like? Here's an insightful observation I ran across. Just about everybody wants a long life, but nobody wants to be old. Isn't that true? About everybody wants a long life. But nobody, nobody wants to be old. That's like saying, I want to visit Europe, but I don't want to get on a boat or an airplane. Well, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work out for you. 
And yet all of us who are living right now are either participants or observers in a longevity revolution, meaning old age isn't as short as it used to be. In the United States, the average lifespan is 80, which is double that of 200 years ago. Most of us will live 34 years longer on average than our great-grandparents. 70 million people will be over 65 by 2030. That's double today's numbers. The very old, defined as those over 86, are one of the fastest-growing age groups today. This group numbered 4 million in 2000 and are projected to grow to nearly 9 million by 2030 and to 16 million by 2050. And they're not just waiting around to die. Clint Eastwood is still directing movies in his 90s and Willie Nelson is on the road again at 89 wearing Skechers. Churches in North America are growing even faster than the general American population. Churchgoers are twice, are twice as likely as the average American to be 65 and older, and the average age of a clergy member is now 57 when it was 50 in 2000, according to a faith community study by Lifeway Research. There's a lot that we could say about this fascinating data. And many people, way more informed and smarter than me and who can say it better than me, are saying it. But as followers of Jesus, here's what we need to ask about aging above everything else. What does God say about aging? How does God view those senior saints who have weathered many dangers, toils, and snares throughout their life? And what do their lives have to teach us about growing old? What is the sound biblical theology of aging? Well, let's begin by trying to define it. One writer has suggested this very simplistic formula to understand aging. He said aging is the result of experience plus deterioration. Now, I'll be the first to admit that's not the most inspiring definition. But think about it. When you boil it down, that's basically what it is. And that's behind what's almost every scripture on aging. Lived experience is considered to be a very valuable thing according to the biblical writers. It is to be honored and respected. You see, God's plan for his people was to hold the aging in high esteem. And so God commanded through Moses to the Israelites, rise in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God, I am the Lord. You know, in American culture, we, we prize youth, not age. We have articles and magazines and infomercials about anti-aging products, which is an $11.6 billion industry in the U.S. alone. In fact, I heard of one man, one older man, who wanted to look young so badly, he had braces put on his false teeth. <laughs> However, the books of the Bible are really kind of pro-aging. The word elder is used in a biblical book 175 times. And particularly in the Old Testament, it speaks about how years can bring a maturity and wisdom that will enable older folks to come alongside and be a mentor or a guide to those who are younger. And therefore, elders in the community are to be respected and esteemed. And a lot of reflections 
on this are found in the scriptures. I've pointed this one out before in previous messages on this topic. This is so good, though, I got to share it again. This is from the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 27. Take a look. If anyone makes a special vow to dedicate persons to the Lord by giving equivalent value to the writer here, he's talking about a special kind of sacrifice that was offered. Let the amount be set of a male between the ages of 20 and 60 at 50 shekels of silver. If it's a person 60 years or more, set the value at 15 shekels. Thus, the idea of a senior discount comes directly out of the Bible. But you didn't know that, did you? Years ago, I had a cashier at a fast food restaurant that gave me the senior discount when I was in my mid-40s. I was so offended, I took it. Back to the formula. Age is the result of experience plus deterioration. Human aging involves lived experience, and that's mostly considered a really good thing. But since the systemic curse of sin corrupted God's good creation, it also involves a slow but sure process of biological deterioration. And true to the straightforward nature of Scripture, we see blunt descriptions of what that deterioration entails. One of the most descriptive and colorful passages on this topic is found in the Hebrew Scriptures book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Billy Graham called Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, one of the most poetic and yet candid descriptions in all of literature of old age. It starts like this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. It's like the writer is saying, kids, remember your creator when you're young because what's coming later ain't going to be no picnic. Indeed, some of life's most difficult transitions that bring about the most traumatic changes will occur in the last decades of this present life. Transitions like declining health, loss of independence, unemployment, the loss of a spouse, loss of siblings, loss of many friends. Those are among the major moves that occur in this last stage of life. One of my former staff members, I want you to see his picture real quick. This is a gentleman named Manley Pierce. Manley and I served together in the church in Ohio. Uh, he was there most of the time that I was there. And he was in his late 60s when we started serving together. And I bring his picture up because Manley died last week. He, di he died last Saturday. He was 92. And Manley would say to me often, John, getting older isn't for cowards. Getting older isn't for cowards. Indeed, growing old is equally as demanding as growing up. The Ecclesiastes writers then sets forth in a very colorful blow-by-blow -blow description of what the days of trouble look like that are headed your way and my way if we live long enough. So he starts, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. In other words, as we age, sometimes we develop a tremor in our hands, not as steady as they once were. You lose a little height. Your physical strength noticeably diminishes as we age. Then he says, when the grinders cease, because they're few. What are the grinders? It's your teeth. Not many dentists in those days. No dentures or implants. So the grinders start to disappear. Someone said a sign you're getting older is when you and your teeth don't sleep together anymore. 
and those looking through the windows grow dim. What do you think that's talking about? Looking through the windows, your eyes. No LASIK surgeries or glasses back then. Men rise up at the sound of birds. What's that about? You don't sleep as good as you used to. Just little noises start waking you up or you have to get up to go to the bathroom more frequently. And you find yourself actually asking other people, how'd you sleep? <laughs> when we were little, no kid ever asked another kid, hey, Johnny, how'd you sleep last night? <laughs> but as we age, it's like a priority question. How'd you sleep? <laughs> Men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their sounds grow faint. What's that talking about? Your hearing starts to go. Pastor Randy Green of our staff recently got fitted for a set of hearing aids that have helped his hearing so much. About a month after he got him, he went back to the audiologist for a checkup, and the doctor said, Randy, your hearing's perfect with these aids. Your family must be so pleased you can hear so well again. Pastor Randy said, oh, I haven't told my family about them yet. I've just been sitting around listening to the conversation, and I've changed my will three times. When the almond tree starts to blossom, want to guess what color almond blossoms are? White. The hair starts to turn white if we let it. <laughs> I love this next phrase. And the grasshopper drags himself along. <laughs> Isn't that wonderfully expressive? He used to be a grasshopper. Now he's a grass dragger. And desire is no longer stirred. I don't think any comments needed on that one. <laughs> or perhaps maybe a song would be in order. Precious memories. <laughs> Jacob, age 92, and Rebecca, age 89, are all excited about their decision to get married. They go for a stroll to discuss their wedding. And on the way, they pass a pharmacy. And Jacob suggests they go in. And Jacob asks the man behind the counter, are you the owner? The pharmacist answers, yes. Jacob says, do you sell heart medication? Pharmacist says, of course we do. He says, how about medicine for circulation? Definitely all kinds. Medicine for memory problems, arthritis. Yes, a large variety. What about vitamins and sleeping pills? Absolutely. You sell wheelchairs and walkers, all speeds and sizes. And Jacob kind of lowers his voice and he says, how about Viagra? The pharmacist says, of course. Jacob says to the pharmacist, great. We're getting married in a few weeks and we'd like to use your pharmacy for our bridal registry. Might as well laugh about this stuff, right? <laughs> then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember God before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. That's what the scriptures mean when it talks about the day of trouble. These sobering words from Ecclesiastes imply that preparation, more preparation is required for the rigors of aging than the accumulation of a hefty 401k. There needs to be a fortification of a healthy soul. However, in spite of the inevitable physical limitations the process of aging places on us, there are some great 
elderly biblical characters that show us that we're never too old to be used by God in surprisingly powerful and even boldly prophetic ways. In the opening of Luke's gospel about Jesus, he introduces us to four different elderly people who play unique but important roles in introducing the ministry of Jesus to the wider world. Before we encounter the baby Jesus in Bethlehem, we're led there by a childless older couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth about whom Luke notes, and they were both very old. And the reason that is noted is because of what is about to happen to them. They're going to give birth to a child in their old age who will be the forerunner of the coming Messiah. They're understandably shocked and even in disbelief because that's not how the aging process usually works. I heard about a woman who went to the doctor's office to be examined for her uncontrollable hiccups she'd had for days. And suddenly another doctor noticed her burst out of the examination room screaming as she ran down the hall. He stopped the hysterical woman and asked her to sit down and relax. And then he asked her, uh, what was she so upset about? And a few minutes later, the older doctor marched back to the younger doctor who had examined the woman. And he said, what's the matter with you? Mrs. Jones is 63 years old, has four grown children and seven grandchildren. You told her she was pregnant. The young doctor smiled smugly and said, cured her hiccups though, didn't it? The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and promises that Elizabeth will bear a son named John, bumping her from the geriatric ward to the maternity ward. Even in her old age, God calls this woman well past childbearing into faithful service. Zechariah finds the promise too incredible to believe due to their advanced age, but several months later, wonder of wonders, embarrassed Elizabeth's Elizabeth gives birth. And even though Elizabeth is very old, she's the very first character in Luke's gospel that is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. An aged couple becomes God's inspired instruments and are commissioned to be interpreters to Mary about what will soon happen to her. Next, Luke introduces us to two older single adults named Simeon and Anna who welcome baby Jesus to the temple when Joseph and Mary present him for his dedication in Luke chapter 2. Simeon has been hoping and waiting for the deliverance of Israel from their oppression by its enemies. And upon seeing the infant Jesus, he proclaims Jesus as the chosen one who's the promised deliverer and himself as now ready to depart in peace. And Anna, who has been a widow for most of her life, praises God upon meeting baby Jesus and tells everyone around her about him. Throughout Luke's gospel, people have difficulty understanding who Jesus is and what he's up to. Is old Simeon and Anna, is their astute perception of Jesus' true identity a function of the wisdom that they've accrued over the years? Are older folks the first to get it right about who Jesus is because after many decades of living, they're now unsurprised by the wild acts of God? Both Zechariah and Elizabeth, Simeon and Anna, embody wisdom and insight. Some gained through past experience, some given as the direct gift of the Holy Spirit. 
They are presented by Luke as prophets who point younger folks toward the future with expectation and hope. By the grace of God, they publicly and hopefully testify about tomorrow. Might Luke be suggesting that rather than being stuck in the past and unable to adjust to change, older adults who have been well-formed in their faith have a surprising openness to the future and a wise discernment of the times. While many elderly value continuity, tradition, and stability, it is striking, I think, that Luke, both in his gospel and later in the book of Acts that he penned, connects older people to the possibility of playing a key role in an unanticipated divine intervention. Though many, though they have many years on them, they point toward God's radical future as predicted by the prophet Joel that Luke quotes in Acts chapter two. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Note in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the elderly are called to be dreamers, not downers, not defeatists, not disappointed, but dreamers. You see, the Holy Spirit is a gift that keeps pointing the elderly toward visions of tomorrow rather than leaving them to wallow in the self-selected and often self-deluding memories of yesterday. Because here's the reality about reminiscing we all need to acknowledge. The good old days weren't as good as you think they were, and they certainly weren't as good for everyone as you want to believe. Sometimes the way we recall the past demonstrates our own self-deceit. Later in the New Testament letters, Paul directs his pastoral protege, Timothy, to make sure the early church is a place of respect and honor for elders. And he writes this instructive phrase in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as you would a father. While the church owes elders honor and respect, it's noteworthy that responsible discipleship is still expected from the aging. Older men, when necessary, can and should be exhorted and corrected. Older people who spout racist views or those who are verbally cruel and abusive and who are mentally aware of what they're doing should not be patronizingly overlooked or excused simply because they've been doing that for decades. Inappropriate sexual innuendo and advances should never be dismissed as he's just being a dirty old man. Excusing bad behavior by saying someone is just a silly old fool is not the way of discipleship of Jesus. However, the way we confront the elderly may need to take a softer, gentler approach. And that's what Paul's writing to Timothy. Or maybe it may take an objective outsider to help, particularly if it's your family. There's an old joke told about Teddy Roosevelt before he was president. One of the jobs he had was the commissioner of the New York Police Department. And he was interviewing a young prospective New York City cop one day. And he asked him at the end of the interview, one more question for you, young man. If you had to arrest your mother, what would you do? The sharp young interviewee said, call for backup, sir. Paul told another young man that he mentored in ministry named Titus that the older men and women are called to be role models in faithfully following Jesus, counseling, teaching, offering what guidance they can. Or as one writer put it, whereas the task of young adults is to create biological heirs, the task of old age for those of us who are Christ followers is to create spiritual heirs. 
I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Titus chapter two. He said to Titus, your job is to speak out on the things that make for solid doctrine. Guide older men into lives of temperance, dignity, and wisdom, into healthy faith, love, and endurance. Guide older women into lives of reverence so they end up as neither gossips nor drunks, but models of goodness. By looking at them, the younger women will know how to love their husbands and children, be virtuous and pure, keep a good house, be good wives. We don't want anyone looking down on God's message because of their behavior. Clearly, the New Testament writers consider elders to be worthy of special care and respect, and yet they are still under Christ's lifelong call to follow him as responsible, growing disciples. In a time of life when the purpose and meaning that were derived from a job or caring for a home and family are no longer required. The church's conviction that disciples are expected to love God, love people, and serve the world, no matter their age or stage in life, can be one of the great gifts our faith can give to the rapidly increasing population of aging adults among us. Those who are given the gift of advanced years are called primarily to see themselves not as passive patients, but as active agents, not as simply receivers of care, but as givers of common sense and compassion. Not as burdensome, but as responsible. Jesus Christ has always and will continue to call ordinary people to discipleship without regard to their age or stage in life. As followers of Jesus, it is our conviction that while there's life, it's never too late for a Christian to cultivate generosity, courage, selflessness, and love. Will Williman wrote these great words. He says, one is never too old to be rebirthed, made young again, sent on outrageous errands, or be completely discombobulated by the Holy Spirit. I love that phrase. As one writer put it, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but God can make your old dog new. One thing we know for sure, the God of the Bible who called people late in life like Elizabeth and Zechariah and Simeon and Anna, he's still calling. Their stories push us to remember that we have more future with a living God than past. God keeps us leaning toward the future, expectant and hopeful that though our lifetimes are ending, God is forever beginning and creating and venturing throughout our lives. It's a challenge not to tuck the work of God that he's doing in us comfortably within the past and to make God uh, a relic of the past. But remember, he's a present resurrected Lord because God isn't the God of the dead, but of the living according to Jesus in Mark 12. Our lives are subject not only to chronology, but theology, the theology of a God who thinks nothing of constantly calling ordinary people, regardless of their age or stage in life, to follow him. Friends, we're never, we never age out of going on a Holy Spirit-led adventure. Amen? We never age out of going on a Holy Spirit-led adventure. Therefore, a key question for each Christian to answer is this. What's God doing in my life right now? Or maybe a better way to say it is this, what does God expect from me and to what task am I now being assigned? Now, I don't have any specific answers for your particular situation or circumstances, but I do have some helpful general guidelines I want to share as we close. Number one, I want to say this, the scriptures are the friend of the aging, cling to their promises. The scriptures 
are the friend of the aging, cling to their promises. The scriptures are the lens through which Christians look at ourselves and the world around us, and that's perhaps even more true when it comes to aging. Will Williman said, when we Christians go to scripture, it's not usually to find answers to specific questions like, how can I endure the last decades of my life? Rather, he says, we live with scripture, regularly spending time with the stories of God with us, not primarily as a rule book or set of answers, but rather as an old friend, a companion on life's journey. As with any old friend, you're patient with the friends retelling of stories they've told us before. Sometimes there's joy in hearing familiar words that are beloved all the more for their familiarity. We delight to find passion that spoke to us during one stage of our lives, they speak differently now. Or we're surprised by biblical characters we failed to notice in previous trips through the Scripture. We speak, he says, of a biblical passage. Through Scripture, we travel from one place to another, guided, enticed, and urged on by the text. And as we make our passage into and through elderhood, the Bible, once quaintly spoken of as the book of ages, can be our trustworthy guide and companion. And it certainly has been for many. Pastor Harvey Carpenter loves to tell the story of John Bruce, a federal judge appointed by President Ulysses S. Grant. On his deathbed, Judge Bruce instructed his daughter to fetch the book. He had to be from the South, right? (laughs) Fetch the book, referring to his beloved Bible. He told her to turn to Romans chapter 8, Paul's letter to the Romans, and he quoted the passage he wanted her to locate. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When his daughter found those words, John Bruce told her to put his finger on those words. And when she did, he took his final passage with his finger on that passage. What a way to enter eternity. Friend, the scriptures are the friend of the aging. Cling to their promises. Number two, the one who loved us into life loves us to the end. Trust his transformation inwardly, even though we're perishing outwardly. My mother will be 92 at the end of this month, June 28th. And against her children's better judgment, she continues to live by herself. Her mobility is severely limited. Her memory's rapidly fading. Remember that young cop that said he had to arrest his mom? He called for backup. I can totally relate. <laughs> On a recent visit with her, I said, Mom, I just don't think it's safe for someone who can't remember much to live on their own. And she quickly shot back, Well, I can remember I want to live on my own. exactly what she said. (laughs) My mom has seen her share of pain and loss relationally, emotionally, and now physically and mentally. But one thing she's never forgotten is that the Lord is with her and has promised to continue to be with her to the end. A couple years ago, mom was probably 89, maybe 88, My mother and my sister, she's the oldest of us, they actually sang a song together in their little church, mom's church. And the song mom chose for them to sing has these lyrics. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from the sunshine. 
for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry or the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today, I'll walk beside him, for he knows what lies ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. As Christians, we do not believe that history is a meaningless cycle going nowhere with one burden after another. We believe God is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. God not only gets us going in the beginning, but he meets us at the end. So trust his inner transformation, even in the face of outer deterioration. And lastly, I'd say this, normal predictable aging that leads to death cannot be defied, but it has been defeated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So prepare for the ultimate wedding. I recently did a wedding, about a month ago, I did a wedding when it came to the part where I asked the groom if he takes this woman to be his lawfully wedded wife, before he could answer, a child in the back of the room yelled at the top of his lungs, no! (laughs) I never had that happen before. I think I said something like, I didn't ask you. (laughs) And I quickly moved on to let the groom answer. He said, yes, by the way. (laughs) But what happens when the groom not only says yes once, but he does it again and again? Michael Joyce's memory, some of his speech have been snatched by Alzheimer's. He had early onset Alzheimer's. The disease is so, so advanced, he actually forgot he was married to his wife, Linda. They'd been married for 38 years. But he's deeply in love with her, and he's an honorable man. And so he proposed to her again one morning, and she said yes. Linda Joyce, age 64, told the New Zealand news site named Stuff, she said, you don't say, oh, we're already married. So I said, of course I will, thinking he might not remember. But the next morning, Michael Joyce, age 68, woke up and asked her, so when are we doing this? Here's how Linda invited her friends and community to their second wedding. She wrote, my adored hubby of 38 years suffers from Alzheimer's dysphagia. Two nights ago, out of the blue, with tear-filled eyes, he asked me to marry him. Michael had clearly forgotten we were already married, but I absolutely went along with him and said I would be delighted to be his wife. In spite of his confused mind, he obviously knows and feels this is something he really wants to do. To Michael, she writes, it will be our wedding ceremony and to our friends and myself, a truly precious, memorable occasion. On their wedding morning, Linda Joyce said she wasn't sure he he would remember, but he woke up and told his betrothed, today's the day. And the beaming couple, originally from Scotland, exchanged vows at a scenic lake near their home as friends looked on. Linda Joyce said this, there's been a lot of sadness and a lot of frustration. And despite all the fogginess, today has been a pure joy. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added these are the true words of God. Friends, hear me. Jesus, our resurrected bridegroom, does not have a memory problem, but he does have a mercy solution. He never forgets who we are, but he forgives our sins and he remembers them no more. And one day the Father will say to the Son, today's the day. And we will join him in a place where he will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, that is the ultimate solution to aging, death, dying, and eternity. Normal, predictable aging that leads to death cannot be defied, but it has been defeated by the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, we prepare for the ultimate wedding. Amen? Amen. Would you join me in prayer? So, Father, I thank you so much for just the Word of God. What a gift you've given us, the Scriptures. We just look again and again, as the writer Will Willeman says, it's like an old friend. And we hear familiar stories. And sometimes we hear stories that we never heard that way before. And sometimes we meet characters that we never noticed before. Father, I just pray that we'll just cling to those promises. We'll trust the inner transformation that you're doing, even though outwardly we're wasting away and perishing. And even though death cannot be defied, regardless of how much money we spend on anti-aging products, it has been defeated in the resurrection of Jesus. And that is our hope, and we cling to that now. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all agreed and said, If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And through Jesus, anything is possible.